pray together. Lord, thank you that you have spoken. Spoken in creation. You've spoken through your word. You've spoken in these last days through your son. We're so thankful that we have access to your scriptures. And we acknowledge our need for your Holy Spirit to open our understanding to what it says and means. Work in our hearts beyond just mental things, but heart embracing of the truth we see in your word. Your word is truth and it sanctifies us. And we need you to work mightily in us. It says that your word works effectually in those who believe. And I pray that that would be the case this morning. Lord, as we open a text that maybe sounds foreign in some ways to the way we sometimes think about things, Lord, enable us to grasp the realities we will see. And I pray for anyone who is here this morning who still doesn't know you as the God of mercy that Russ reminded us of and the songs reminded us of, a God who has mercy on all who call on his name. Lord, um, would you show them mercy? Show them they need Jesus as the one and only Savior from sin and hell. Bring them to the knowledge of the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible is realistic about what kind of life we should expect in this fallen world. Though we would all prefer to enjoy a life of comfort, we need to prepare for a life of conflict. Peter has already told us that we need to expect opposition for our faith. And in our text for today, he tells us to be ready for another kind of conflict. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's continue our study, actually wrap up our study in this New Testament letter. Lord willing, we'll be going to 2 Peter next Sunday. So 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look first at our opponent in this conflict. Verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So the one we are up against and who is against us is the devil. C.S. Lewis wrote, there are two opposite errors into which our race falls about the devil. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So we want to stay out of the ditch of seeing a demon behind every bush and a demon behind every trouble. And we also want to avoid the other ditch of not taking the devil seriously enough. And I think in this group, that's probably the one we need to watch out for. The 
consistent testimony of the scriptures is that the devil and his demons are real. Go to Ephesians 6, verse 11 and 12. Ephesians 6, verse 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly Places. So there's something bigger going on than what you can see. It's not just other people. There's an unseen realm of angelic beings, and we are in opposition with them. So let's look at how Peter describes him in verse 8 of 1 Peter 5. He says, your adversary, adversary is just a big word for enemy, an enemy is someone who seeks to injure, overthrow, or confuse an opponent. The Hebrew word for adversary gives us the name Satan, which is used 36 times in the New Testament as the name of the enemy of our souls. Satan is hostile, and he wants to hurt us. We sang, our cruel and ruthless enemy, his, something is our harm. So, so there's an an opponent. He doesn't just there. He's against us. And one example that goes along with what Peter's been saying in his letter about persecution would be Revelation 2.10. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. So Jesus is sending a message to the church in Smyrna. He says in verse 10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. So the devil is behind persecution, not just flesh and blood. Our opponent is also called the devil, which means slanderer or accuser. One who speaks evil against someone. So, for example, in Zechariah chapter 3, the text that is the basis of the priest with dirty clothes by R.C. Sproul that we read in Awana. Zechariah 3 1 says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Or Revelation 12, Revelation chapter 12. Beginning at verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, think Genesis 3, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day 
and night. So that's how he gets the name the devil. He's a slanderer. He's always accusing us. And maybe you've experienced the devil's fiery darts of accusation, condemning you for your sins, stirring up doubts about whether God can forgive you. It's one of his roles as the accuser. And he's compared to a roaring lion, not the sleepy half-dead lions you see at the Omaha Zoo, but the ferocious, powerful lions you see on a nature show. Pouncing on a zebra, grabbing their neck, pulling them down the ground, and devouring them. That's who we're up against. This is what um, J.I. Packer wrote. Satan hates humankind and seeks our ruin because he hates God, his and our creator. For his fierce, sustained, pitiless hatred of humanity, Satan is spoken of as a murderer, the evil one, a roaring and devouring lion, a great red dragon, and the accuser who constantly calls on God to banish his saints for their sins. He is unimaginably malicious, mean, ugly, and cruel. So that's our opponent. Next, let's look at our responsibility in this conflict. In other words, what are we called to do in light of what we know about the enemy of our souls? How do we avoid being devoured? How do we stay off the spiritual casualty list. And Peter has three instructions for us. First, be sober or be sober-minded. And in the dictionary before the definition related to alcohol, it says, realizing the importance and seriousness of life. And so Peter is saying, don't take this threat lightly. Don't let your guard down and be lulled into a false sense of security. The devil is real. His craft and power are great. And he wants to cause our downfall. And so you need to take him seriously. Second, be on the alert or be watchful. Pay attention. Don't let your guard down Wait a minute, I'm just really mixed up here. All right. Yeah, so we need to pay attention um, and be alert for possible danger. Wayne Groom says the metaphor is apt for a prowling lion attack suddenly and viciously, often when its unsuspecting victim is engaged in routine activities. And third, in verse 9, it says, resist him. We see that in James 4, 7. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. And also in Ephesians 6, 13, if you want to go back to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 13 says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So to resist means take a stand, fight back. If the devil comes at us with accusations, if he comes with temptation, if he comes with doubts, remember the original doubt, has God said? Or doubts about the goodness of God? Something bad has happened in your life and maybe you have doubts about his goodness? Fight back. 
Don't just take it. Don't just roll over. Don't just give in. Fight back using the word of God. Remember of Jesus in the wilderness when the devil came to him three times. Three different temptations, but all three resisted with, it is written. And then Jesus quoting and believing God's word. Peter adds a couple phrases to this instruction of instructing him or resisting him. Firm in your faith. So we need to be well grounded in our faith, not easily moved, not easily shaken, but strong in our trust in God in this spiritual conflict. And then the rest of verse 9 says, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So, we're not alone in this conflict. The spiritual conflict we're facing is not unique or unusual. It's being experienced all over the world right now by our brothers and sisters in Christ. And just a reminder, because we need reminders, we don't and can't be sober and watchful. We can't resist the devil in our own power. At the end of the service, we'll sing, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be what? Losing. We are up against a powerful enemy who is much too strong for us. But listen to some more verses. Ephesians 6.10, right before this whole section about spiritual warfare or spiritual conflict, he introduces it with verse 10. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. So don't depend on your own willpower. It's weak. Depend on the strength of the Lord and His might. Or 1 John 4, 4. Greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. So we can overcome, we can fight back because... We don't depend on our own resources, but on the Lord's. After telling us about our opponent in this conflict and our responsibility in this conflict, Peter tells us about the outcome of this conflict in verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So let's just walk through those phrases. After you have suffered, how long? For a little while. We saw that at the beginning of this letter in chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So it won't always be this way. Our suffering won't last forever. Compared to eternity, it's just a very short time. Remember how the Apostle Paul called all the suffering he had endured in his life momentary affliction. And when he compared it to the eternal weight of glory that's coming, he said it's far beyond all comparison. 
and our conflict with the devil will soon come to an end as well. Romans 16.20. Romans 16.20. says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And the day is coming when God will send the devil to his eternal doom. In Revelation 20, verse 10. This is the end of the conflict. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's how the story ends. We triumph. Satan is cast into hell forever. It won't be long until all our suffering is over forever. Some days it seems like it's going to take a long time, but the Bible reminds us it won't be long. And it won't be long until the devil is done as well. And then the next phrase, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. So our God is the source and giver of all grace. His favor and kindness shown to those who deserve his wrath. He treats us not just better than we deserve, but the opposite of what we deserve. And he abounds in saving, sanctifying, sustaining, enabling, and preserving grace. And his grace is sufficient for every need we will ever have. And this God of all grace has called us to his eternal glory. Because of God's effectual call, we will experience fullness of joy in his glorious presence forever. And Romans 8.18 says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. So that's what's coming. Glory in the presence of God. Fullness of joy. The suffering will be over and we will enjoy God forever. And after a little while, God will do four things for his people. First, he himself will perfect or restore us. He will make us complete. Think of Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He'll complete it. There will be nothing left undone in our redemption. He does it all. It's perfect. Second, he will confirm us. Confirm means to make firm or certain. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7. Awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is going to confirm us. He'll make us firm and certain. He will strengthen us. We're weak but he will make us strong. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And last, he will establish us He will make us stable and solid. Romans 16, last words of the letter to the Romans is a doxology. 
It starts with verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you. And it ends with to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Be the glory forever. Amen. John Newton wrote a letter addressing the question, why does God permit this ongoing conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil? Especially when we are so weak and we don't always come out as more than conquerors in the battle. It's a great question. Here's what he wrote. His method of salvation hereby is exceedingly endeared to us. We see that it is and must be of grace, holy of grace, and that the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect righteousness is and must be our all in all. His power likewise in maintaining his own work, notwithstanding our infirmities, temptation, and our enemies is hereby displayed in its clearest light. His strength is manifested in our weakness. Satan, likewise, is more remarkably disappointed and put to shame when he finds bounds set to his rage and policy beyond which he cannot pass. And that those in whom he finds so much to work upon and over whom he so often prevails for a season escape at last out of his hands. He casts them down, but they are raised again. He wounds them, but they are healed. He obtains his desire to sift them like wheat, but the prayer of their great advocate prevails for the maintenance of their faith. So do you hear that note of triumph? Yes, we're up against a tough opponent, more powerful than we are, but we have Jesus on our side. And he will prevail. And he will get us through. And in the end, we are delivered and safe forever. And the devil is doomed. And after assuring us of all that God will do for us, Peter says in verse 11, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Dominion means sovereign power, supreme authority, and absolute ownership. 1 John 5.19 tells us that for now, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But it's not rightfully his, and it won't stay that way. God alone is worthy of dominion, All power and authority and ownership belongs to him. And as we'll sing at the end of the service, his kingdom is forever. Well, as we close, each of us needs to settle the question, which kingdom am I in? We all start out in the kingdom of darkness. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead, this is the first verse, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So we weren't just random people following along our own way, we're taking the course of the world which is being directed by the devil. We were slaves of the devil, which is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. What is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 and 26? 
with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So we all start off slaves of Satan. We're held captive by him, and we need to be set free. So that's where we all start. And one of the reasons Jesus came was to set us free. 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So one of the reasons for Christmas coming up, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Or go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The last part of 11 says, Joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And listen to this commission Jesus gives to Paul in Acts 26. Acts 26. Verse 18, Jesus says to Paul, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So if God is calling you out of darkness this morning, acknowledge, I have been in rebellion against God. I've been in the kingdom of darkness. I've loved darkness and hated light, as it says in John chapter 3. And then repent. Turn from darkness to light. Turn from the dominion of Satan to God. And then receive forgiveness of sins from Jesus Believe his death on the cross is the only sufficient payment for sin. This morning in in Sunday school, we were in Acts 10, and we read verse 43. Through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. This is Matthew Henry's comment on that verse. Through his name, for his sake, and upon the account of his merit, whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. This is the great thing we need, without which we are undone. It is to be had only through the name of Christ, and only by those that believe in his name. And those that do so may be assured of it. Their sins shall be pardoned, and there shall be no condemnation to them. And the remission of sins lays a foundation for all other favors and blessings, by taking that out of the way which hinders them. If sin be pardoned, all is well and shall end everlastingly well. So 
See, Jesus died for our sins, forgiveness is in him, and then he rose again from the dead to show that he had defeated the power of sin and death and hell and that he can set anyone free from the power of darkness. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have called many of us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We couldn't have done that ourselves. We wouldn't have made that switch in kingdoms. We were very content with our darkness and loving darkness. And you intervened in our lives by your grace and your mercy. And we just give you thanks for that. And we want to proclaim your excellencies, proclaim your praises. And I pray for anyone who's still in the dark, who's still spiritually blind and spiritually dead and spiritually captive to the devil. Lord, that you would set them free, even today, that they would find Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to stand.